Thank you, sisters. Let's open our Bibles to Romans 7. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, we would love to collect those and take those from you and be assured that we are praying for you uh, this week. We come to Romans 7, 24 and 25. We will finish this, this morning with Romans 7 and on to Romans 8 and other things. But as we come to this closing chapter, Paul really holds up the polarities of the Christian life in these two verses. And as we look at this chapter as a whole, which has been incredibly helpful in looking at the Christian life, I want to throw out a couple questions on the front end uh, this morning as we look at Paul's presentation of Christian experience in this chapter. First, have you ever thought of the struggles in your life as a battle with sin? I'm not saying that Every struggle in our lives is because of a personal sin problem, but are you able to recognize, this is my sin nature, what I'm doing is clearly sinful, and I've got to fight this. I think that's a huge step in the Christian life, where we're not excusing things away, we're not minimizing things, we're owning it for what it is, and Lord, I know this is not what you want me to say, I know this is not what you want me to think, I know this is not what you want me to do. And, you know, as I, I think of a follow-up, can you identify these struggles and desires that seek to bring you down? Can you see the thoughts and intents of your heart that often lead to behavior that is sinful, which impacts your relationship with God and your relationship with others? When you examine your heart, what do you see? Well, we don't want to take our own word for it. That's a dangerous proposition. You know, I'm looking in there and it's looking pretty good. <laughs> That's not what you need to be thinking. But the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? I'm looking in there and I don't see his fruit in my life. I'm all for biblical assurance. There is a biblical assurance for the people of God. But when you examine your heart, what do you see? What do you sense? Is Jesus Christ the rightful ruler of your heart? Examining our hearts must be done with the scripture, not conventional wisdom, not our own assessments, not by comparing ourselves with other people, but by the word of God. Let me ask this question. What grade would you give your Christian life? That's a tricky one, isn't it? Uh, I'm an A plus, one might say. Nobody, I think, would be comfortable who knows the Lord saying that. So why don't we put that answer in biblical terms? Is that even a question that elicits a biblical answer? Um, I, I I think the right answer even from Paul in Romans 7 here, would be, I'm sensing a continual ascent, sometimes ever so slowly, sometimes it's, I feel like I'm taking steps backwards, nevertheless, his face I'm seeking. I think that's Paul's answer in Philippians 3 when he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think that's the right answer How, of the true believer. How is your obedience and devotion to Christ? Why does it even matter? 
Why not just throw up our hands and say, what's the use? Because we're not given that option. We're called to battle with our sin as believers and we receive encouragement and challenge as we look at this reality. So Paul concludes Romans 7 with really two contrasting declarations. The first is in verse 24. Wretched man that I am. This is not the cry of an immature believer. This is the cry of Christian experience. Wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? These things that I don't want to do, I'm do. I'm doing what I must do or should do. I'm not doing, wretched man that I am. And then, and then the second polarity is in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one who gives us hope. So those statements really capture the two poles of the Christian life. And I've argued through our study in, in Romans 7 that this is describing Christian experience, which I would pray would infuse you and come to you and give you hope and minister to you that my failures are not final and yet I've, I've been called to follow him. I'm contending that Paul is writing of his Christian experience and that it is the norm for every believer. James Montgomery Boyce delivered a clear word on the believer's struggle when he wrote, as we mature in the Christian life, grow, growing closer to Jesus Christ and thus wanting to be more like him and pleasing him more, the struggle actually grows stronger rather than weaker. Those who struggle more vigorously against sin are not immature Christians, but mature ones. The hardest battles are waged by God's saints. So the takeaway for me in Romans 7 is that every believer should expect to struggle with the presence of indwelling sin. All of us are sinners. The issue is, am I a redeemed sinner? Am I a saved sinner? (laughs) And saved to sin no more. And so as we look at the the power of Jesus Christ leading us onward to the day in which we will see him, until that day we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, doing what is fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit for every good work, longing for that day with joy. So let's look at these two verses. And I want to begin with first by looking at biblical anchors regarding sanctification. One of the things we've seen already in Romans is that salvation is a, is, is a multi-dimensional um, uh, picture in Scripture. It presents salvation in a full array of, um, uh, of hope. So the believer in Jesus Christ has experienced regeneration. What it means to be a, a believer in Jesus Christ is we've been born again by the Spirit, a regenerating work of God, which we contribute nothing to. We have experienced conversion where we have repented of our sins and have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as a response of that awakening by the Spirit. By believing in Jesus, we've read in Romans that in great detail that we've been justified by faith, legally declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven. 
and that we are in the process of being sanctified. All of this is a picture of salvation. We were saved from our sins. We're presently being saved from our sins. And we're heading to a place, a glorified state, where we will sin no more as we will be like him with resurrection bodies. So sanctification, according to Wayne Grudem, is a progressive work of God and man. It is the aspect of salvation in which we cooperate with God in our, in our salvation as, we, as he makes us more and more free from sin and like Jesus Christ and how we live. I pray you're experiencing victory in your Christian life. I I pray that you're hearing challenges in the word that cause you to long for God in a deeper way and to serve Christ every moment of your lives. That is what he's called us to do. So these biblical anchors, I would mention first would be on, our sanctification is ongoing until we see our Savior. Salvation is a picture of an onward being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, verse 22, Paul says in that verse that we have been free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. So this is an ongoing process in your life as a believer Secondly, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit and all the means of grace that come to us from God's word, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Look at chapter seven of Romans, verse six. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. The believer in Jesus Christ has been born again by the Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells every Christian dwelling within us to lead us, to guide us, to illumine our minds, to understand spiritual things, knowing that the natural man cannot understand the things of God, for they're spiritually appraised and discerned. This new way of the Spirit is not the old way of the written code, that God is working in us. He is writing His law on our hearts, not on tablets of stone, but on hearts of flesh. Here would be a third pillar of your sanctification. There are no easy paths Some things drag more stubbornly than others in our lives. But I would just point us to this statement of Jesus in Matthew 7, 14. When he said in the Sermon on on the Mount, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. I don't know if you've been fed a lie or not on this matter. I, I don't think you've heard it here. Where anybody has ever said to you, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Come to Jesus and all your stress and struggles will be relieved. Come to him because he's the way. Come to him because he is the life. He said in speaking of salvation that The way is hard that leads to life, and few there are who find it. And then a a fourth pillar would be the only path, sanctification is the only path to eternal life. In Hebrews 12, 14, maybe you would write this down and look at it later, but the writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone 
and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's sanctification. That is growing in Christ. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. This is not earning God's merit. This is the outflow of knowing God's grace, that we are in the process of being conformed into his image. Now to these polarities. Secondly, wretched man that I am. I'm wondering if anyone in this room, and I asked this, I think maybe last week, has ever said that about themselves. Wretched man that I am. Wretched woman that I am. Amen. Uh, that's not real popular com- uh, you know, verbiage in our culture. Um, in fact, if someone were to come in and just take a little clip of this video and put it somewhere, um, they might say, well, man, that church is spiritually abusive. Talking about being wretched. That's exactly the kind of religion that draws people away. No, that's precisely rightly framed is what we need to see ourselves as if we are going to really appreciate God's grace. The reason God's grace is not amazing to most people is because they don't think they're wretched. That not only left to themselves and their sin would they perish, but even as a redeemed sinner to know what goes on in our hearts Paul says, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So let's walk through this again and just look at verse 19. Let's pick up there. He says, for I do not do the the good I want. What do you mean? You're the apostle Paul. Yeah, even still, I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I, I keep on doing. And we think of lapses in our mind. We think of sins that are, repetitive in our life in our sin sinful nature there is nothing good it's the human problem for the one trusting in Jesus Christ we belong to him which means that we have died to sin yet we still live in a sinful world and still have a sinful nature that is rotten through and through the tension of the Christian life is trying to do what is pleasing to the Lord and falling short So he says, I I don't do the good, but I do the evil I do. And that word evil means originally, it describes a soldier who's cowardly. In the New Testament, evil refers to being bad in heart and conduct and character. Evil works, uh, evil works and evil thoughts and evil conversations. Notice verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So he's not blame shifting here. He's just saying, I've got a sin nature. Without the Holy Spirit's help, I'm left to myself. I need my heart purified by faith. I need to obey God's commands and his word. I need to be motivated for his glory, not for my own self-improvement and fame. And verse 21, so I find it to be a law A fact of life is what he's saying, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Does it ever? What would cause Paul to state, wretched man that I am? Because of the civil war going on in his heart that we all know about, don't we? 
One commentator wrote, a swimmer has no idea how strong the current is until he tries to swim upstream. When he faces the current, he finds the law, this law at work. The current is against him. And we feel that way at times in the Christian life. He further expands on this conflict when he says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God. So this is why I think this is referring to Christian experience. This is why I think Paul is describing the Christian struggle. Because unbelievers don't view the law this way. I've never talked to any unbeliever about the gospel and about sin and falling short of God's glory where they say, you know, I really delight in God's law. I especially like the parts that speak about sexual sin. I've never heard any unbeliever say that. Or about lying or about what Jesus said about the human heart. They, they never say, I delight in this. That, that slays us in order that we might see the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I delight in the law of God. To have joy or to rejoice in, in the law of God. One of the signs of genuine conversion is the allegiance of the heart to God's ways. I gotta stop talking like that. I gotta, I gotta quit saying that. I gotta quit doing that. What happens when you taste and see that the Lord is good in salvation, those laws that were once a burden to you, they're not burdensome anymore. And you long, I, I've got to change. And I just a beautiful thing happens as, our, as it comes from a heart being transformed, it begins to show itself in a changed life. Notice verse 23, but I see in my members his body, his mind, um, his uh, heart. I begin to see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so here he's, he's talking about the civil war that's common to us all. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because when you preach hard on sin, when you preach the word of God, one of the things that can be the negative takeaway is they're legalistic or it breeds a sense of maybe hopelessness. I could never live this life. Pastor, you, never, you don't know where I've been this week. You don't know what I've done this week. You don't know what, I'm, I'm, what I crave and how I spend my time. Maybe I don't, but I don't think you're much different than anybody else. The issue is who's reigning your life? And the way to change is by full surrender to Christ today and to walk with him every day, calling upon him for help with the problems of your life. Isn't it something that we're, we freely talk to friends or we consult um, uh, the internet or some other place to find answers to, to our soul and how few call out to God and say, Lord, I need you every hour I need you. Come into my life now. So when he's talking about the evil at hand and God's grace that dwells within the believer, Paul does not say that these powers are equal, but he knows that they're both there. In the life application um, uh, study notes, we must realize the same. One power must be resisted while we rely on the other. I must resist sin and my sin nature and the evil that can flow so easily from my heart. And I must rely on the power of Jesus Christ within me. 
When we fail to rely on Christ's strength for our daily strength, we in essence provide sin with more power over us. Sin's power will not have grown, but our relative weakness will make it seem that way. Sin's power is not an excuse for us to drift spiritually or openly give in to temptation. Believers must not forget that they have already won because the spirit within them is greater than the spirit of this world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So yes, there's massive hope for you and for me to live the Christian life and to live with hope. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched means suffering from spiritual or emotional misery. Sin has taken a terrible toll on us all in one way or the other. John Piper said, this is the real cry of the Christian, wretched man that I am. Not because we're not redeemed, but because the redemption Christ bought for us comes to us in stages life in the spirit and justification leading on to progressive sanctification and then a resurrection hope who shall deliver me from this body of death the full picture of the Christian hope is seen in a resurrection body friends bring that into your thought about your future that your future hope in Christ our future hope in Jesus Christ is that this present body will be transformed in in a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet, when the dead in Christ rise and receive a resurrection body by which to spend eternity with the God who created us and redeemed us. Saved to sin no more, susceptible no longer to cancer or disease or death or anything in this fallen world to live and to worship in perfect worship and perfect rest and perfect work and perfect adventure in the presence of God. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? The Lord Jesus Christ shall deliver me. I hear the objections of many. Again, I go back to wretched man that I am. This is spiritually abusive. We need to build self-esteem into other people. I think the best preaching is really trying to convince people you're not as strong as you think you are. And you're not as good as you think you are. In fact, held up to the light of God's word, you're in massive trouble. Until you see what God has done. You know, it's... That's what happened to Zacchaeus on that day, as Lonnie read for us earlier, when Jesus spent the afternoon with Zacchaeus. And um, and this money grubber, this cheat, spent the afternoon with Christ, and his heart was changed. What I've defrauded, I will pay back fourfold. I will give to the Lord and to others. May we never forget who we are. So three beautiful outcomes of seeing yourself as a wretch is that it really forces us to be honest and humble. Honest and humble. King David said long ago that God desires truth in the innermost beings. 
God resists the proud, but he gives grace to whom? The humble. And as we do that, may we make our life one long gift to others and a praise to God. Secondly, um, it's struggle with purpose. And I, you know, I can understand maybe the pushback here is, I know what it's like to struggle. I've been living my whole life like that as an unbeliever. I, I was thinking maybe I might have a little peace when I came to Christ. Oh, the peace is there. Yeah, it's there. But there, there's struggle, and it's struggle with a purpose. What do you mean by that? Well, the whole process of sanctification and living the Christian life is being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The cross-reference is Romans 8.29. We won't go there. We'll be there soon or later. But we're conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God's eternal project in your redemption is to pick you from the muck and mire of your sin and to place you on his eternal trophy case to shine for all of eternity for his glory of how great he is. And so when he comes and he says, you know, I need to adjust this in your life. It's the loving care of a heavenly father who molds us and shapes us into the image of his son, which is the whole purpose ultimately of his salvation. And then thirdly, putting off and putting on. Living the Christian life, walking with Jesus Christ is not a passive stroll through the park. It's an abiding peace and joy in the Lord and be assured that there are tests and trials that come. And one of the biggest struggles we face as believers is not so much pressure from the outside, but rather the battles we face from the inside. And so we're told to put off these things. In Christ, we're established positionally with the Father to have a a right relationship with Him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And being secure in that, we're called to put off our sin and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a number of instances where this is mentioned in the New Testament. My favorite is Ephesians 4, and I would have you turn there. In Ephesians 4, this whole concept of putting off and putting on is on display. And I want to just hold this up and want to mention maybe three or four, maybe five particular sins that we're called to put off. But this could apply to everything. You're reading along in your Bible in the morning, first thing you do in the morning before you check your email or anything else. you're, You're calling out to the Lord. You're looking to His Word. You're praying and seeking the Lord. That's the first thing in your life and you come across something and it's a command and you become convicted. You, this isn't happening in my life or something has stirred your soul and you're saying, Lord, what, how am I to understand this? Maybe you, you're having a hard time loving someone and you know that God's called you to love. He's called you to love your spouse. He's called you to love your neighbor. He's called you to love your enemy. Sorry, you don't get out of it. And you're not. And you become convicted of that as you're reading your Bible and calling out to the Lord first thing in the morning before you do anything else. And you say to him, Lord, this isn't happening. I've got to put it off. I've got to put my unloving disposition, my lack of love, I need to put it off. And I need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and I need to love this neighbor. I need to love this enemy. Lord, it's so hard. 
Help me to do this. You think God answers prayers like that? I know he answers prayers like that. That's my hope of ever, ever changing at all, is that he begins to do a work in my heart that way. So in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through the end of the chapter, he's talking about this positional uh, relationship we have with God and that we are to put off. Look at verse 22. You're to put off. You didn't learn Christ in this way, verse 20. Verse 22, put off your old self. He's talking to believers here. Put it off. Stop doing it. And there's quite a list of things that we could put off, but he mentions four or five here in the closing section of this chapter, and I think they're prominent sins. The first is what we say. Put off lying. Put off lying. The words that come out of our mouth. How does that, how does that change? I need to put this off, and what, what do I need to put on? I need to be a truth teller. I need to be honest. I need to be a, a man, a woman of integrity. The second sin is to put off anger. Look at verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. What does that mean? Well, there's an anger that we should have over things that are unjust and unrighteous and things that grieve the heart of God, but we need to be really careful because he goes on to say, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger because we still want it for very long what happens. We go into pastures with poisonous weeds. <laughs> Bitterness comes in. Self-righteousness comes in. We become overcome with how irritated we are with this issue and we become angry and it dominates us and we no longer represent God in the situation. We're way past that. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't allow this to go unresolved. Verse 27, give no opportunity for the devil. Put off anger. I would say probably in my reading and experience, one of the greatest besetting sins men face in our culture is anger. Anger. Where our desires are unfulfilled and so it's a scorched earth. Everybody who knows us. Paul Tripp writes about this, about the desires of our heart and how they can consume us. How do I deal with anger in my life? It's maybe not a, a, an evil desire, but a desire that takes over our heart. And if it's not fulfilled the way we want it to be fulfilled, um, we become angry. We may have good desires, legitimate desires. The, the danger is when they take over the heart and control it. And he tells this elaborate story about how he longed to come home and cook his family a, a, a wonderful, authentic Cuban meal. His wife w w was born and grew up in Cuba. And he goes and he buys the groceries at the grocery store. And he, he gets a call from his wife saying that she was delayed. She won't be home. She'll be late. Don't wait up for me. Go ahead and have supper. And then he learns that his children need errands. One needs to go to the store to get lunch for the next day, something for his lunch. His daughter needed to be taken uh, downtown Philadelphia. That was an hour round trip. His third son needed a special calculator that, at school. And he's just lost it at this point. He was hoping to come home and for his children to worship. <laughs> Wow, we got a dad who could cook. And one thing after another just went out. 
And I can really relate to that. I think we all can. In dealing with anger, Paul says, put it off. Put it off. See these opportunities as a way to serve Christ. He mentions stealing, verse 28. Put off stealing and work honestly for your wages. He mentions uh, destructive words, verse 29. I love this verse and I always take time to mention this. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Strong Greek word. Let no stinking, putrefying, rotting word come out of your mouth. But only that which builds up others. Put that off and put on edifying words. Put on kind words. Put on words that show the love of God and then put away all bitterness. Verse 31. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So... Wretched man that I am, that doesn't mean we coast in neutral. Well, that's just the way I am. It's never going to get any better. And you embrace Eeyore and your view of the Christian life. No. That leads us to point three. I'm going to put these things off and thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wretched man that I am, Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes um, and when people come to me and they're angry with me for whatever reason, and they, start, they say, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right, you didn't do this right, you're hypocritical in this point. Often I'll say, you know, you're right. You're right. I didn't meet that expectation. I'm very sorry. I mean, that's no mystery. But I'm here now, and I want to do what's right now. So how can we move forward in the grace of God? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why the thanks for Jesus Christ? Well, all the things that have been outlined to this point in the book of Romans. We've been justified. We've been forgiven. Jesus Christ has rescued us. His saving work has rescued us from sin's penalty. From sin's penalty. If you're a Christian, that is how Jesus Christ has delivered you from the penalty of sin. He didn't give you money. He didn't give you uh, some external blessing. He gave his life, his very life on Calvary's cross. And he gave it in exchange for yours. Jesus died so that you might be delivered from sin's penalty. Secondly, saving relief from sin's power. We can never put off our sin apart from the grace of God, which gives us the desire and the power and strength to do it. We're not merely urged to a, a new and higher moral standard. This is not a self-help program. This is a life centered on Christ, surrendered to him. When Lazarus, who had been brought back from the grave um, uh, out of spiritual death, it's a picture of being... The Christian life is, as Lazarus was brought out, so we have been brought out of the grave of our sin. And our old grave clothes have been taken off, and we have been given new garments fit for his coming. We are sinners, and we will, we will be sinners throughout our Christian life. Even though we're sinners, we're redeemed and forgiven sinners. So we have hope. 
There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We have a sure victory through Him by God's grace and for His glory. So maybe you are a broken reed this morning. Maybe you're a smoldering wick this morning. Images Jesus used in Matthew 12. He will not snuff you out. He will not throw you away. Keep running to him. Keep seeking him. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome our, uh, the world, our faith. And finally, in Christ, a saving respite for, from sin's presence. I mentioned the New Testament speaks of salvation as a past event in the sense that before the foundation of the world, the gospel came to us and saved, we were saved from our sins. It's presently working in us that we're overcoming sin and in the future we will be saved from sin. I pray that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted him, we point you to him. He's a wonderful savior and it's worth your fellowship, your heart, your life to follow him. Would you bow with me in prayer? Maybe it's an issue of obedience in your life. We have a number who are in the queue for baptism. That's the first step of obedience in the, the Christian life. Maybe you are a believer, but you've never been biblically baptized. And you need to follow through with that act of obedience to proclaim him publicly. Maybe you're without a church home. We love 90-day challenges, maybe longer. But it's time to, to get settled in a church. Because you're a follower of him, you'll never find a Christian, a believer in the New Testament, who's not intimately acquainted and involved in a local body. Allow yourself to be known. Serve the Lord in a local church. It bears eternal fruit. I know it's not perfect, but it's God's plan. It's the epicenter of his kingdom purposes in this world to be involved in a local body. Maybe you've got some things to put off this morning. You're a believer. You know that your salvation is secure in Christ. You have biblical assurance. But things are dragging stubbornly in your life and you need to put them off. Don't nurse them. Put them off. Maybe it's other sins that weren't even mentioned today. This moment in our worship service is really a time to respond in faith. To say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours, O oh Lord, and I've heard your voice. Your word has spoken to me today, and I will follow. Lord Jesus Christ, lead us in these remaining moments. For the glory of your, your son, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If there are needs on your heart, you come. Let's close this service in faith and in trust in him.